Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. One of the things that binds all people is we all have some brokenness inside of us. Today, First Pres Associate Pastor Steve Page has a message that addresses this brokenness and how we can reach wholeness once again. Amen. Actually, can you stand? <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. That was a perfect song to lead in what the story, the message, everything today as we keep those words echoing in our mind. But the reason why I'm asking you to stand is because we want to read the Word of God together in an honorable uh, way to Him. So our reading today is from Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40 to 45. We do have the words up there. Yes? No? I hope so. If not, I'll just read them. Okay. So it goes like this. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon gathered around Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now you may be seated. You've earned your way today, all that standing. That's great. Um, let me ask you guys something. Have you ever found yourself in the wrong story? I remember my freshman year in college, I was attending a community college at that time, and uh, <laughs> I was studying civil engineering, of all things. And I studied it not because I wanted to, but because my parents wanted me to study that. I, you see, I was living out their story for my life. And you know what? I mean, they were nice people, but I hated it. Just hated it. In fact, looking back, it was part of what, if you ever felt like you're in the wrong story, it leaves you depressed. And I can look back in those days, and seriously, I was clinically depressed. See, this is just to underscore my point of why I shouldn't have been in civil engineering. In my freshman year, my physics teacher was taking role in class, and he's saying all these names. It's a big class. He's saying all these names, and then he says out loud in front of this big class, Mr. Page, here. Uh, Mr. Page, if I were you, I'd seriously consider dropping this course. <laughs> so I immediately packed up my books and left. And later on, I went to go to his office to get his signature. And he, Steve, I, I, he says, Steve, look, I can see your heart's not into this. What do you really want to do? He's like, oh, I love sports, but I, you can't make anybody doing that. He says, just, just go check it out and see what happens. So I went down to like the career office and all that kind of stuff. Well, to make a short story long here, um, I did take off. And I finally, I, I, I got out of Jersey, went to Arizona, Arizona State University, and I studied kinesiology, or what some might call sports medicine. And to be honest, it was a way better story. It really, it was a way better story, because I, at least I, I improved drastically, academically, and emotionally. But in terms of meaning, in terms of purpose for my life, in terms of morality, in terms of spirituality, I was still very much in the wrong story. And it was a wrong story because it was still not yet God's story. 
In my senior year in college, I finally gave my life to Christ. And, and now I didn't just have a better story. I had the right story because I had God's story. And, and in that story, I became someone no one saw coming. Trust me, even most recent trips back to Jersey, people are still curious and ask me questions. How the heck did you become a pastor? No one saw it coming. And quite frankly, I, I get, but I still can't believe that I get to live this story. But I want you to understand something. My change in story wasn't just about college majors or careers. It was primarily about, the change in my story was primarily about the healing and the redefinition of my life of my soul. Now, how many of us are here today with an old story that's the wrong story because it's not God's story written for us? A story that might be saying to you or you're inferior, you're inadequate, you're insufficient in some way. A story that says you are hopelessly unforgivable, unlovable, and even rejectable. A story that says, well, you know, if you do want to be loved, well, you better perform well. If that's you or somebody you know, and then this passage hopefully will help you see the great desire and joyful passion, the joyful passion Jesus has to rewrite our stories. And this encounter takes place uh, early on in Jesus' ministry as he's beginning to go around and be known in the countryside. His reputation as a great teacher and as a healer is growing and spreading like wildfire. People are, you know, seeking him out, coming from all over. He happens to be at Peter's house um, in, in verses one, uh, uh, chapter one, verse 33 and 34, which says this, the whole town gathered at the door, this is of Peter's house, gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many with various diseases, and he drove out many demons. Now, probably long after this, not long after this, Jesus is traveling, continue, because where Peter lived was in Galilee, which is northern Israel. He's, he's traveling along, and he sees a man with leprosy come up to him. And as we just read in verse 40, the man says, um, a man with leprosy came to Jesus, begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, one of the first questions I want to ask is, why does Mark want to tell this story in the way it's told? Why not just skim through it and make a summary statement like he did back there in verses 33 and 34, where he says, you know, Jesus healed many, Jesus drove out many, and all that kind of stuff. Why didn't he just simply say, and Jesus healed many lepers? Why have this dialogue? Why write the drama that we see before us here? Something's going on that he wants us to get. He, he, he wants us to catch something deeper than just the general facts that Jesus went around healing lepers. He wants us to pay attention here, okay, about how Jesus did things, because that needs to be deeply anchored into our souls as Christians as we try to continue to live out his mission in the world. Now, historically, in the ancient world, there's no greater dreaded disease than leprosy, which we now call today, in, in our modern age, Hansen's disease. One, one has this condition. The nerves uh, in, in your extremities or parts of your body uh, and the skin are affected, and very often noses and fingers and toes not only get infected, but they de deteriorate, and sometimes they just fall off from infection or rot. Now, if you've never seen anyone with Hansen's disease, uh, we should have a picture up there to show you what it's like. Um, unfortunately, you know, lepers in the ancient world were often met with great fear and rejection. Many times they were not welcomed in cities. In fact, if you were a person with leprosy and you came near others, you would have to proclaim out loud, unclean, unclean. In other words, that, that, that you have to pronounce that you're physically and socially and spiritually unfit 
to be near other people. Imagine what that was like. Imagine coming to church today and you having to announce as you came in to all of us, whatever illness or struggle that you had, that you had announced to us today you have pancreatic cancer or colon cancer or you have herpes or you have bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety. Imagine if you had to let us know before you could sit down. And then imagine the response to that. People, all of you are around us here or even online, you know, people looked at you with fear and contempt and disgust. And then on top of that, no one would ever touch you. No one would ever embrace you. No one would ever befriend you because of that struggle, that illness. In the ancient world, it also meant that, that you could not join with a community to worship, to sing, or to pray together. Moreover, it meant that your options for employment were slim and none. Basically, you were reduced to a beggar. You could have the IQ of a savant, but basically all you could do was become a beggar. What would it be like to go through that story every day? How does this man feel? What's his life like spiritually, economically, socially? Imagine the emotional and psychological effect such rejection had on him. Every day this man is degraded, humiliated, and marginalized, and living in poverty, excluded from everybody else's experience of God's blessing and shalom, vis-a-vis -vis the, the physical and social and soulful wholeness that God intended. You know, this reminds me of a study done a number of years ago on the connection between depression and obese women. Um, they noticed that in this population, there tends to be a higher rate of depression, so they want to understand why. Now, originally, scientists, when they investigated this, they thought that depression was directly related um, to the obesity in some, like, physical or chemical way. But what they found out instead was this, that the depression resulted from the response of others to their obesity. In other words, they felt the soul-scarring sting of rejection. You see, folks, our response to God created, God loved people that might be in some way physically, emotionally, or even morally flawed has a direct and deep psychological impact, a soulful impact that we need to concern ourselves about as Christians. And if we Christians, if we Christians cannot handle flaws in others in all its forms, then we can really end up hurting or at least stunting the very mission that Jesus has us on. Now, let me be honest with you. The first exposure um, for me with people who had Hansen's disease, I was 25 years old. I was working uh, as a missionary in Asia. I happened to be in Nepal, the country of Nepal at the time. And previous to Nepal, I, I lived and worked at a refugee camp in another country, and I saw lots of things that were startling. You know, I saw, I saw malnutrition. I saw... You know, people had uh, amputated limbs because of the, the wars and landmines and disfigurement from disease, all kinds of stuff. But for some reason, when I was in Nepal, to see the lepers, it was a lot more difficult. One day, I was way out in the Himalayas. I mean, way the heck in the Himalayan mountains, uh, visiting a, a mission hospital there. And the doctor said, hey, you want me to show you around the hospital? I'll show you around the hospital. This little tiny hospital I have tucked away in the mountains there. And after we went around a bit and he showed me this and that, he says, Steve, um, do you want to go see our, our, our leper ward. And at first I paused, you know, and, oh yeah, sure, why not? What the heck, right? I've seen a lot of things already. So uh, I went into the so-called leper ward, which was basically a very long, dark, 
and dingy hallway of utter suffering. There I saw people wrapped in rags, huddled together with some of their friends who had the same disease. Sometimes, you know, they glance up at me and with all their sadness and anguish in their face. I mean, because I was wearing a white robe, the doctor gave me a white robe to wear, so they thought I was a doctor. And let me tell you something, when, when people think you're a doctor and you're not, and you're seeing what you're seeing, you feel like such a fraud. I knew I couldn't heal them. Shoot, I could barely even look at them. Seeing all this, I kind of bumbled my way down that long hallway, trying hard not to let these deformities get to me. However, by the time I finished that hallway, there was a door. I stepped outside the door and I was stunned. I was so filled with so many different emotions. My breathing was rapid. It was shallow. Fear and sorrow and anguish and a sense of utter powerlessness flooded my soul. You know, for a guy who is sent to preach the gospel to the poor, to help turn ashes into beauty and despair into praise, I wasn't doing a very good job. Thankfully, in our story, Jesus did a way better job. And this leads us back to our gospel. Notice how this man comes to Jesus. Again, we'll read that verse we read before. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. Have you ever seen someone beg? I mean, truly beg. I want you to close your eyes with me right now. Let's just do this experiment together. Just close your eyes right now. Now, you've seen the picture of the woman who had Hansen's disease. And I want you to picture this. Imagine the scene. And I want you to stand on the side of the scene. And I want you to picture the man begging and talking to Jesus. Now, I want you to walk over to him. And I want you to look right into his eyes. Look into his eyes. What do you see in his face? Have you ever seen that in the face of another? Have you ever looked deep into the eyes of the desperate? Have you ever tried not to see the eyes of the desperate? Okay, you can open your eyes now. I thank you for going along with that. I hope it was helpful. But I remember in the days when I was in Thailand as a missionary, a similar incident happened to me. I was on the streets of Bangkok and I was just killing time waiting for my computer to get fixed, where in the distance I, I saw a young boy, he looked around 13 years old from what I could see, just a partial glance of him. I didn't pay much attention at, her, at first, but he looked at me, and, and for some reason, all I could see was just one eye on his face. I could just see one eye. And now when he saw me with that one eye, he came right towards me. I mean, he came right towards me. And the closer he got to me, I noticed that he was hobbling. He had a hobble along. And then, as he got closer and closer, I began to see what his face truly looked like. And I'm just, again, going to be honest, very blunt. It was the most disfigured thing I've ever seen. Here's a picture of the man, uh, of a man with the same condition. It's called Proteus Syndrome. In all my time in poor countries, I never saw this, and it startled me. And what I try to do is kind of nonchalantly move away. You know, kind of turn and move away. Maybe if he knows that I'm walking away, he wouldn't pursue, but he kept coming. He kept coming. And when he reached me, I could just, I'm going to be honest with you, I could barely look at him. And I have to confess to you, this is like the one time in my whole life where, you know, I see, I see someone in front of me and my knees literally buckled. They actually did that. He looked at me with such expectation. He wanted something from me. 
you know, they, and, 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 and I just couldn't handle it because I knew I couldn't give it whatever, there's something deeper that he wanted. So I reached into my pocket and I gave him all the time money I had in my pocket. And then I, Mr. Missionary, to the poor and the needy, quickly moved on. That's what I did. See, my response to the boy reminds me of the stinging words written by spiritual writer Henry Nouwen when he once spoke about sometimes how our charitable acts of pity are done for less than noble reasons. See, listen to what he says. He says this, I often act with pity. I give some money to a beggar on the streets of Toronto or New York, but I do not look him in the eyes, sit down with him or talk with him. I'm too busy to really pay attention to the man who reaches out to me. My money replaces my personal attention and gives me an excuse to walk on. In other words, it's easier to give money, it's easier to give an expensive gift even to another than to truly give our personal attention, to look them in the eyes and to hear their story. And this is exactly what I was doing by throwing money at that boy. Yeah, he definitely needed money, but not in the way I gave it, and certainly not for the reasons I gave it. What he needed, just as much and maybe even more was someone who could actually embrace him as he is and give their full attention to him, even if it was for a brief time. So let's read Jesus, how he responded to this situation, unlike me. Verses 41 and 42 said this, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out with his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, notice how when Jesus meets a man in this horrible condition, where everybody else be freaking out, he responds with compassion, it says. The English word there for compassion is a compound word in Latin that means to suffer with. To suffer with, to feel the suffering of the other person and then to try to do something about it. Not just to feel it, but to do something as well. Now notice something vitally important here is how this man is healed. You know, when I teach classes on the Gospel of Mark, I always ask this question to the class, how is this man healed? And everybody says, when, when Jesus touched the man, and I said, that is absolutely wrong. Read your Bible again. Notice the order of the healing. The man asks for help. Jesus feels compassion towards the man. Jesus reaches out and touches the man, not healed yet, and then commands the man to be healed, and only then the man is finally healed. See, it's very important that we note that the healing comes at the command and not the touch. So what's going on with the touch? Is it significant? Keep in mind now that Jesus could have cured this guy with a word and walked on. He could have healed this guy from across the street, but instead, he chooses to extend his hand first to touch the leper before any healing takes place. See, the touch is not a means to heal his disease, but to heal his soul. Physical healing came at Jesus' command, but restoration of his soul came through Jesus' touch. Can you imagine how that man felt? Probably for the first time, maybe even in years, someone touched him in love. Think about it, if Jesus healed them and then touched them, that would have perpetuated the idea that lepers are still untouchable, that there's still people in this world that you should not touch or embrace. Doesn't do that here. There's something huge being established by the order of this miracle. And it's also important to notice 
that Christ is healing this man in a lot more ways than one. Yes, he's healing the man's body. Yes, he's healing the man's soul. But he is also healing his lack of community, which is absolutely crucial to this person's life, crucial to any person's life. This is why Jesus orders the man in verse 44, where he says, go tell the priest and let him examine you. Let him announce that you're clean. So you see, back in the day, the priest would announce Someone who had a disease was indeed clean from the disease. And now with that announcement by the priest, the person can go back into community. Why is that important? Well, for one reason, in the peasant culture, especially being a communal member was member wasn't just a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. It was vital for survival economically, socially, mentally, emotionally. See, I saw this when I lived in Thailand. I lived among rice farmers for a long for a while. And rice farmers from various farms would help each other in the planting and in the harvesting of rice. Why do they do this? Because this communal approach lessened the impact of this back-breaking work of, 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 of planting and in sowing. It, it just, it's a back-breaking job. Now, not only this, it increased crop output, which brought greater financial stability to more people. And it created a sense, they used to sing while they planted and reaped and all that kind of stuff. They would sing. I did this with a group of Christians where they were singing hymns the entire time we were reaping rice. But that sense of community is so powerful because as science tells us today without a fact, it is crucial. It is absolutely vital to our mental and emotional well-being. Point is, for Jesus, the healing is not complete until, until the man is healed communally. Please understand that. It's very important. See, as someone once wrote, salvation is not only heaven, but it's experiencing heaven through each other. And if we don't experience heaven and salvation through each other, then people can end up continuing in needless suffering, even though they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often I've seen Christians continue to experience much shame, much rejection, because the people of God could not also become the embrace of God. A number of years ago, I used to go to a park here locally and help out with the houseless. And in that time, I met a man named Ren. And when I first met him, it was very difficult to carry a conversation with him. Uh, you see, he would start the conversation okay, but then he starts talking about Martians and all those Martians out there. Then he started talking about giant cockroaches running around. Then he started, talked about trees walking in the desert. You know, and it's just going on these different things. You see, Ren was schizophrenic. Nonetheless, each time I was there, I would try to talk to him as long as I could and engage the conversation. But here's the thing, I always, always, always made sure I'd shake his hand and give him a big, long hug. And I did that intentionally because, because Ren I don't mean to be indelicate or, ins or insulting. I'm just going to be honest. Ren was especially unkempt and especially odorous. Fast forward eight years later, eight years after I've stopped working at that park, should I say, I saw Ren again for the first time in eight years. He saw me in the parking lot and he yells, uh, hey, Pastor Steve. That was amazing. He remembered my name even, you know. And we went back to our old ritual of shaking hands and embracing each other and talking story with each other as long as we could. And of course, after a while, those crazy aliens were coming back again, you know, and we went on in that conversation. But here's the thing. Um, after we finished talking, we would then again shake hands and do the long hug uh, with each other. See, look, here's the deal. Why am I telling that story? Because I knew I could not heal this man's difficulties. 
the least I could do was to make sure he knew that he was not untouchable. In fact, he was a man who I joyfully embraced, and I want him to know the joy of the embrace of God through me. You see, a lot of different folks went to the park to help the houseless, to help feed Ren himself, but few, if any, ever touched him. So your acts of compassion may not cause huge earth-altering events, but as Tony Campolo used to say when he'd encourage crowds to sponsor Children with Compassion International, one person may not be able to change the whole world, but we can change the whole world for one person, even if it is for a short little while in a parking lot. And that begins by being people who, like Jesus, offer the embrace of God to the unembraceable. This is one reason why I'm a big fan of small groups. Small groups have that potential to be a great place where we can finally take off our so-called leper wrappings and we can just sit together as we really are, warts and all, and find a way together to have our stories rewritten in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? So my question is, are you able to provide that space and the grace to have the stories of others rewritten in Jesus Christ. See, the reality is many of us who know Jesus often hide our fears, hide our loneliness, our deep hurts, our regretful actions, our shame, because we cannot trust that people will want to love us there in our perceived deformities. So we remain in silent suffering. Look, my brothers and sisters, should not the church be the place, the place to reveal our so-called deformities to each other? And let me tell you, it is such a, having done this with so many people over the years, it is such a sacred and holy moment when people share, they risk to share with me or to our small group their so-called deformities within. And by the same token, and I need to say this, If people risk such vulnerability, it is absolute sacrilege to meet them with disinterest or Christian cliches. You know what I mean? How many of us ever heard in response to our divulging of anxieties and depression or worries and fears we get met with, you just need to trust God. You just need to have more faith. Let me ask you something. Does anyone, when we say that, does I mean anyone ever respond with, Wow, you're totally right. I never thought of that. Thank you for changing the course of my depression. But we say it anyway. Sometimes we don't know what to do with the deformities and hurts and pains of others because we have not done a good job to go inward on our own issues. We mean well by talk like that, but trust me, folks, it's not helpful. So listen instead to Larry Crabb, Christian writer Larry Crabb. He said this. A spiritual community, a church, is full of broken people who journey together with their wounds and worries and washouts visible, but are able to see beyond the brokenness to something alive, something good, something whole. A central task of community is to create a place that is safe enough for the walls to be torn down, safe enough for each of us to own and reveal our brokenness, and only then 
Can community be used of God to restore our souls? And I would add, to help others rewrite their story through Jesus Christ. Amen? So let me be the first to admit that it's difficult to give the responsibility of defining our lives solely to Jesus. Sounds like it'd be easy to do. Okay, Jesus, come redefine my life. Come rewrite my life. It's not all that easy. It's not easy because there's been so many voices in our life to which we have given authority, telling us who we are, telling us what we're worth, telling us what we're not worth. And the cacophony of these voices make it very difficult to hear the only one voice that matters. Just for an example, maybe some of us have performance issues because we found out early in life, the story that got wrote about, uh, written about us in early in life is that if you do well or you think, do things nearly perfect, people will pay attention more. They will show respect more. They may even feel like they show love to you more. And you also got the message that if you didn't perform well, you can easily be denigrated and discarded. A soul shaped by those experiences, by such narratives, folks, can end up walking soulfully crippled even though they follow Jesus. Look, yes, the past and our pain does influence us, does form us to some extent, but as Christians, it never determines us. We've got to understand that because we Christians are determined by our future, not by our past. We are determined by God's ultimate words for us and not by the old words that still haunt us, the words of our critical parents or siblings or friends or coaches and teachers, the words of our failures, the words of our divorces, the words of our mistakes, etc., etc. You get the idea. As I asked at the beginning, how many of us are here today with that old story? That's the wrong story because it's not God's story written for us. Maybe for some of you today, the rewriting of your life needs to begin now. Maybe you need a healing touch to happen in your soul and in your body. In a moment, we're going to take some time to pray about those things. But for now, I want us to take some time to reflect on what God is saying to you. Is there something he wants you to say? Is there something he wants you to do? Is there something he wants you to change in light of what we're worshiping and saying? And as we entertain those questions, I want us to watch this special video of a very powerful song. Some of us here today are so bound up with chains around our soul, bound up by emotional and relational and physical pain and scarring, bound up by the echoes of old stories that still haunt us years, decades later. And then we find it difficult to ever live into the new story for our lives. So we're gonna show a video that considers the chains, the chains that still may linger because we have still gotten stuck in the wrong story. I love that not only because the lyrics, it's a great song, it's got that great heavy kind of R&B, rhythm and blues kind of feel to it, but it's the people who are singing it, where they're singing it, you know what I mean? And, and, and when I first saw that song a few years back, it just brought tears to my eyes. Um, but by the grace of God, I could have been one of those guys. The things I did, the things I stole, the sin I committed. But the amazing grace of Jesus Christ is just so powerful. 
So if you want to begin your journey of your story rewritten through Jesus, if you want to break the chains of the old story that seem to continue to haunt you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you here and at home to give your life fully to Jesus. And in a moment, I'll offer a simple prayer to help you do that. But I also want to pray for those who need deep, soulful, relational, emotional, spiritual, and physical healing. God wants to break some change today. He wants to break through today. He wants to impact your life. So let's just bow our heads for a second as I lead us in these prayers. First of all, for those who need their story rewritten completely, to give your life to Jesus fully, just follow me in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. My story is a mess without you. Come and rewrite my life today. Thank you for dying for me. And as best as I know how, I give my whole life to you. Now, for those of us who are here online who need a healing touch, I pray now for you. I pray for those who are experiencing cancer in its various forms, that Jesus would come and bring his powerful healing and grace into your life. I pray for those who are suffering from chronic pain, especially joint pain. I pray for those who suffer from migraines to be free, to be healed in Jesus' name. I pray for those who do struggle with mental illness, bipolar disorders, schizophrenic behaviors and struggles for depression, anxiety. I pray now in the name of Jesus that he would come and touch your mind, your heart, your soul to be set free. For so many things, Lord, that I haven't prayed for, you don't need my words. You just need to hear their cries about their pain. Like the beggar expressed his to you a long time ago. Hear their words, Lord, and have mercy upon them like you did for that man. And Lord, we entrust this to you because 2,000 years later after this story, your grace is still alive, it's still powerful, and it is still amazing. And we lift this up to you in your glorious and powerful name we pray. Amen. So if you are uh, online and you prayed that for the first time to give your life to Jesus Christ, you can hit there in the chat area, the raise the hand button. Um, and also if you need prayer and you are healed, let people know. Hit the prayer button, hit the raise the hand button, whatever it is. If you are healed, let, let people know. We want to celebrate with you. And if you're here and you gave your life to Jesus, let me know. Let the prayer team, the prayer team meets in that back area of this church. Please let them know. Let the staff know. We want to hear from you. If you experienced either salvation or healing or whatever it is, we want to affirm you. What a sacred moment we stand in right now. Can you feel it? Do you know the presence that God is with us right now, speaking to those, through those lyrics, through, this, through, the, through the melodies and through his word. How can we hear the story we just told? How can we sing the songs we just sung without being a part of God's mission 
to see that happen everywhere through our lives. So receive this blessing as we leave here. May the God who takes great pleasure and absolute joy in rewriting stories, rewrite yours through his powerful grace and mercy. And may he also equip you with the eyes that can see, the ears that can hear, the arms that can reach, and the hands that can touch the broken people and the broken places of our world. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be all the glory and all his people said, Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Jesus brings wholeness and compassion. Here on earth, we are his hands and feet and his heart. It's his love inside of us expressed to others that brings peace to one another. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, please visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. First Prez invites you to church. There are two ways to worship, in person and online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus and 10 a.m. at The Vine or online at fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Remember, when you visit the First Prez website, sign up for emails for links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.